Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Uber is looking for a product designer. This is a remote position for those in San Francisco, Seattle, or in the Pacific time zone, though they are also looking for people in New York City. Northern Kentucky University is looking for a visual communication design lecturer in Highland Heights, Kentucky. Own Up is looking for a product designer. This is a remote position. Black Visions is looking for a communications director in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And Vox Media is looking for a senior motion designer. This is a remote position. For just $99, we will feature your listing on our job board for 30 days and help spread the word about it to our audience of listeners. We also offer an annual job board subscription for companies and organizations. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. This week, I'm talking with Rob Martin. Rob is the Principal and Creative Director at Major Minor in San Francisco, California. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, so my name is Rob Martin. I run a studio called Major Minor. We're based out of San Francisco, California. I act as the Principal, Owner, and a Creative Director here. Yeah, we do branding agency work. We do brand strategy and you know graphic design identity systems for a different range of clients you know they could either be you know small local bakery or some more enterprise level um international enterprise but basically we we work with clients and people are really trying to do something good for people so we try to be try to do good work for these people at the organization to to support them in their vision nice how has uh 2022 been going for you so far it's been going okay definitely not like a banner year for us or me in person or anything but um it's one of those years where we're looking back to so we can see how we can move forward right so a lot of like reflection on like how we've been running the company our past clients that we can learn from those experiences and and like start to implement things into our workflow and our processes to make it better for us to work whether it's a work-life balance kind of thing Mm -hmm. or even you know just how we're serving our clients you know how can we get better clients quote-unquote just work less to do more. Yeah, because you just hit the like the ten year mark not too long ago, right? Yeah, I think ten years was. Um, I forget what year that was, but I think we're like thirteen. We'll be turning thirteen this year. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it's twenty nineteen. So yeah, it's be twenty. It's be thirteen years. Uh, twenty two thousand nine. We started. Yeah. <laughs> and then yes, yeah, so we should be thirteen this year, January or July twentieth is our birthday. Wow! Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long ride. <laughs> Let's talk about the design studio major minor, which 
first off, just for those that are listening, that might be wondering, like, where did the name come from? Yeah, so the name actually was back when I was in college at Sacramento State. Our last class was uh, like a portfolio building class. We actually have a portfolio to use once we got out of school. I took it upon myself to actually treat it as if I was doing a studio for myself. I actually, since I had started school at Sacramento State, one of my, my friends in school really put me on to like all like the cool studios like Pentagram and Turner Duckworth out in San Francisco. Like I, that was my first real exposure to something like that. Even the idea of like owning a business was something I've always wanted to do as a kid. But that was like, I was a kid in the 90s, so it was going to be a store, a 7-Eleven slash import video game studio or a store slash like um, rollerblading store. It was very <laughs> juvenile idea. <laughs> that has always been inside of me. So once I had the idea, like, hey, I can actually run a studio. I'm really passionate about graphic design. Here's my chance to like kind of get that idea like realized. So in this portfolio class, we start coming up with names and I'm like really, you know, kind of digging into myself about like who I am, how that reflects my work. And it actually came from the parallels I see like in design and music and also even just myself. So I'll kind of explain the names. I think it's really interesting. This will help me make sure that it still makes sense uh, years later. So basically like you, when you have, you know, visual, right. That's like, there's a rhythm between like a uh, light, and that contrasting creates the form, right? So, like, you remember doing like line studies in like your first graphic design class. You're doing these strips to then like see how this black and white can make rhythm, or how it can make a form. And then even with like sound waves, it's a up and down wave, but the contrast between those ups and downs and the, the speed that they're going at will make a sound. So those parallels are really interesting to me too. And then even thinking about myself, you know, some people people think about different people like, oh, that person is X. That means they like Y. I've always been. I felt like I was in the middle of all these things. Like, oh, you know, you're a black dude, but you grew up around, you know, South Bay around a bunch of Asian folks. So, you know, you don't fit that mold in that way. So I always kind of saw myself in the middle. And then, you know, bringing it back to the whole music thing, like major, minor, the way I, I see it as like being in the middle of these ups and downs and like kind of existing there. Even again, with like the whole balance between like form and light, shape and color, all kind of making these things. That's kind of where I came up with the name major, minor. To then represent, you know, myself and the, the practice that we have at the studio. So tell me about the major minor team. Yeah, so the major minor team currently, uh, our core team is there's three people. It's myself, my producer, Vincent, and then my other my, my project manager, account manager, Michelle. One of the cool things about major minor is that all everyone at like kind of the leadership level, you want to call it, um, they've always been people that are considered my best friends in life. Very lucky to have people that I call my best friend or a best friend that I can then actually work with and like work alongside with in a really, you know, healthy, non-toxic kind of a way. And this current iteration, we've been, they've been on the team for the last like two years now. During COVID, I took a break, had a really bad panic attack in like 2020, I think it was like right before COVID hit. So I took off pretty much that year from COVID or the year that, you know, the, we first had the shutdown. Mm-hmm when we started to come back together or when I decided to like, I was about ready to get back to work, you know, I brought them along to kind of like reshape the team and like kind of move forward with a more healthier feel. And it's been great so far. They're really, um, really uh, sensitive to that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and just paying attention to that for even our clients, you know, how are they feeling about this? You know, how are we feeling about everything, making sure we're not working too much, but knowing that when we do need to like pick up the pace or something, you know, we're doing that in a way that's not um, toxic or, you know, berating of anyone, you know, really considering like this is about the work and not the person, but the people here, you know, they need to be in a certain place to be able to do their best work. What are the best types of clients for you to work with? 
I'd say our best type of client is, and this is something that we've only recently started to identify, maybe in the last year, maybe maybe even two years, but really kind of taking a hypothesis and like trying to see if it actually makes sense, which it has. But basically, it's a company that has some kind of product that's been they've been able to vet their business. They're probably making at least like a million dollars a year revenue, but they don't have like a real brand system or even a strategy. They've just been just doing their thing, but they want to become competitive on either like a a larger regional stage or a national stage. And so usually most that means most of our clients have never paid for design or worked with a strategic design team before. Mm-hmm. So we already know there's a lot of education that comes with that relationship and a lot of like hand-holding, but not like, it's just like, hey, this is the process and like it might feel unintuitive to you in certain ways, but let us walk you through it and we'll explain why we're doing all this stuff. So we kind of see ourselves as like being the Sherpa for them to get up the mountain. You know, sometimes people climb mountains, but they never climbed Everest. So they need someone that's done it before, see how they move, and then, you know, bring them up the mountain in a way that's that facilitates their best experience. So when, a, let's say, a company or an individual then contacts you about a new project, like, what does that process look like in terms of, like, bringing them in, working with their idea? What does that look like? Yeah, so first off, I guess when we, we get some kind of initial email from them, hey, you know, we've got this project we're thinking about, we got referred to you by whomever we'll just hop on a really casual conversation and just talk to them like they can say yeah we need like a new brand system we like this and like that but again like it's their first time actually working with like a strategic team so we want to uncover what that really means for them and then help them understand what that really is for them I mean, they might need an identity system but like how agile are you expecting it to be you know what places will like the main touch points like the core um like brand expressions actually be and then once they once we have those conversations it enlightens them onto what they're actually about to get from us, what they actually need. And just the whole thing just more like, you know, are detailed and like articulated for them. Then from there, we've kind of uncovered all those things. We call it like a discovery session. Once everything is uh, uncovered during that discovery session, then we'll actually go and write a proposal with a number in there for them. Go back and forth. Maybe they can't afford it or maybe they have to get more money. But then we can cut things out of it, put things in there. That might have been revealed to them during some kind of board review of the proposal. And then from there, Everything signed a dot line. And this is actually something we're, we're about to do too, is have like a, a second session after the contracts are signed, going through all the terms of the engagement with them very clear. So everyone's on the same page on mm-hmm. how the process will move and why, you know, we only want you to have six stakeholders and no one else can chime in. Uh, why we're doing that? Because we don't want too many cooks in the kitchen, people getting, giving feedback out of context or even giving personal feedback that, you know, isn't relevant, but it then like, you know, mess up the flavor in the pot you know what i mean so right really trying to get like and not to be strict but just like hey if you want this to move efficiently when you want to get done then we have to move in this way it serves both of our parties not just us not wanting to like deal with other people but for us to get that product for them we need to like make sure we're all in agreement with the uh with the way we all have to move it's like a sign the disclaimer for you to jump out of a plane or something like that i guess so aside from like you know clients and everything you mentioned this has been going on now for 13 years almost What's been the secret to keeping things going? I don't know if there is a secret. If there is, I'm still trying to figure it out. So if anyone hears anything from the stuff I'm saying, please feel free to pull my code. Let me know what's, uh, <laughs> what the secret could be. I think if anything, it's really just building. I think the biggest part of it is building and re- maintaining relationships. Because people, the best way of word of mouth, or word of mouth is the best way, I think, to get new projects. And even, I feel like if people see your work, that's not what they're buying necessarily. So yeah. if they come to you like, oh, that was really cool that you did that. 
and their whole attraction leads off of your work, it's usually you got to turn that back around because they're not really paying for the work. The, while the work is obviously important as like the product that they're getting at the end of the day, the relationship and like the way that you both move, how the designer you know leads you through this, I think is what really the biggest thing is. If they're efficient, they're working right, they're being professional, they're hitting their timelines. Those are the things that I think you're really paying for because you get anyone to do any kind of design work. Mm-hmm. That's why like I don't get hot. People are like, oh, I can just go on Fiverr and get someone to do this. I'm like, fine. If that's what you want to do, go. But it's going to be a way different experience and end product than what you're going to get from us. And that's fine. If you want to go there, I'm not not mad at you because uh, that's probably something I don't want to work with uh, if they're going to have that kind of mentality. Yeah. Or that maybe they still really know the difference. I have to educate them to show them the value of what they're actually getting versus like you know a different studio or even another designer or even a Fiverr guy. So. And I mean that education part is important. I mean one that's kind of in a way what they're paying for they're paying hopefully they're paying for that education because they're paying you to do something that they can't do so the hope is that you'll be able to kind of show them like this is how it should be done but then also they're also paying for just your expertise i mean if you've been doing it for this long clearly you have a track record for knowing what you're doing so it would take hopefully i'm thinking on the client end it would take me less time to hire a professional then for me to hire someone on, say, Fiverr or some marketplace that I may have to do a whole bunch of explaining towards. I don't know the verbiage mm-hmm. or the terminology to really talk to them the way they need in order to do the work. Like it ends up becoming just a lot more work that way. Yeah. And that, that part, especially like with the clients that we have where it's their first time like paying for, you know, this like large of an effort strategically with design. Mm-hmm. They don't know that what they're getting into. And there's actually even a moment. I want to say it was like about a year ago where this woman approached us for some work. We already knew we didn't want to work with her because of her tone of voice, but we still took the time to like let her know, like you have no idea what you're about to get into and this is what it should look like. And that's why it costs X hundred thousand dollars, you know, like mm-hmm. just cause like you don't think it's worth that much. That doesn't mean that it isn't worth that much. If anything, you really need to understand what you're about to get into because you're going to have a world of hurt as you try and do everything you're trying to say for $15,000. And we're not trying to be mean. It's just like, yo, this is actually how it is. If anything, it should probably cost more because you're going to be one of those people that like don't get it and don't want to get it. And it's going to make more work for everyone. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like sharing information because I want people to understand like what we actually do and take the veal off because it is kind of if you've never done it before, it's kind of like nebulous what it really is. And you learn along the way. And that's the kind of the fun part about it for our clients too, is like them seeing and like having those aha moments when it's like, oh, that's why you guys wanted to like one thing that we do that we've been doing for the last few years when we show our we do like a identity systems. We don't just do the logo and then the colors and then the type. We do the whole thing at once. So they see like a very good representation of where we want to take this direction for the system. So they'll see like the logo, some colors. Like it's like a very like detailed mood board. And we even mock up like here's a poster or like a campaign idea within this. So they might only get two directions, but these two directions are thought out and vetted all the way to the point where they can just say, we like that one or we like this one or maybe can we try this one with the other colors and we've like cut down a lot of the the really big reviews because we're not doing everything one at a time we're showing everything in context so they can see this image that we're trying to create for them what this system looks like and how agile it is how it can scale what other pieces we think might need to be invented you know maybe like they didn't think about like oh you know we never, we never thought about doing like this thing because we never saw the need for it but we do see the need for it in this you know this like image mock-up that you've done for us Yeah, like I said, you know, that education is really important for them to kind of see what goes into it, because oftentimes they don't really know, especially like you said, if they haven't hired someone before, they don't know what the creative process looks like. 
they just think you go in mm-hmm. there and like punch a few buttons and there you go there's the logo <laughs> you know but when you show them all the yeah. like thought and the the care and the psychology and everything that goes behind it you know the hope is that they have that that appreciation like i had someone uh contact me recently that was like oh i'm looking for i need a logo for my organization and i usually the first mm-hmm. question i'll always ask is what's your budget because for me that's so that can be the indicator as to whether this is going to be a good project or a bad project i hate to say it but that's true <laughs> and so they had a pretty low budget and i said well you probably mm-hmm. you know would be better off going to a marketplace just based on what you are willing to spend on this and it was pretty much like a full brand identity for a nonprofit organization they're like we need a logo and this mm-hmm. and the third because i was like if you really like try to hire the services of a designer it's going to be much more expensive than that and i don't know how much more expensive it's definitely going to be more expensive than your budget. So, you know, you kind of have to ask those qualifying questions and stuff too. And especially when you're, when you're starting out on your own, you may not know that, like you may take those low gigs at first just to kind of have, Mm -hmm. you know, some skin in the game and you realize years and years later, you don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what's even kind of crazy about that. Not crazy, but like another piece of that is like, this is what I learned a few years ago too. It's like, you might bid like that, the pie in the sky kind of like project for them, but really they might not even be able to support that. It might be just be too much. And they spend all this money after you've like educated them on it and they can't mm-hmm. even support it. And like the idea just falls apart. Sometimes you'll see like this, like new brand comes out there on like, they wouldn't be on like brand new or something like that, but you'll see like the whole, like, Oh, this is really cool. This is really great. You know, the way it's represented on the designer's side looks awesome. Then you go back like a year later and it looks nothing like that. Cause the, the internal team on the client side could not support something like that. They either their designer that they had in staff was whack or the brand guidelines you made them were, were trash. But like, you also have to be able to make something that people can actually use and support over, you know, the length of however long they need it for. So that's part of it to consider too. So like they might be able to get the money for it, but if you don't think they have like the support system to use that work and make it of you more value for them, then it's kind of like, that's another place you got to pause and be like, Hey, you know what? Maybe we can just do like a smaller scale of this or, you know, you should just go somewhere else and do something basic until you have like the infrastructure to to do something more just to do something bigger to get you to that level but i don't think you're there yet that's something we've had to do a couple of times but it's a good thing to be able to identify um as we're kind of going through the the bidding process mm. no that makes that makes a lot of sense actually i didn't even think about that you know you can do this big identity and things for them but if they can't support it moving forward then it's like do they really need that are they going to contract you to mm-hmm. do that work for them like it's there's all these other questions that end up coming into play yeah, yeah, and like, cause like, just to be personally, I like to do the most, and like, that always hits, nips me in the butt a lot. So I've had to like temper myself with like trying to do everything I, I want to or would like to for them to like what they actually need, what can they actually use. So that's been, I guess, more of a learning for myself, yeah. <laughs> but there has been for like other people. But we've we've had multiple kind of like you know times where we've had to encounter that and like make a decision. Mm. Now, you've mentioned, you know, doing a lot of like branding and identity projects. Are there like other types of projects that you want to do in the future through the studio? I mean, retail stuff is always really interesting. Just like even even getting into graphic design. I remember my mom, she worked at like, I don't know, some place. It was a big white building called like Syntex or something and like over by Stanford in California. And like, you know, she would go to work every day and then come back. And like tell me what she did, like data research or something. But like, there's never any like physical thing to show for it. Mm-hmm. And I also thought that was weird, at least for me, because like, even as a kid, I like to make stuff. I was either drawing or like arts and craft lanyards kind of shit. 
everything I did, I had something to show for. Even while I was playing video games, if I beat the game, I would then make a drawing of the game as like a certificate for myself. Like, hey, I did this thing. So for me, like having like some kind of artifact of your accomplishments or things that you do has always been really important to me. So the retail kind of thing, having like a product that we then like, you know, get to design and then package and like someone, I can like point to it on a shelf. Like, yeah, you know, me and my team did that. That's always been really important to me to do more stuff like that. But even like with websites, yeah, we made that thing. But um, the physical thing is actually really interesting too. So even with like the music that I put out, I put that on vinyl. So I have a record, like literally a record of it. And it's oh, nice. like a piece that I can like look back on. Yeah. That's pretty dope. I want to definitely talk more about your music. We'll get to that kind of, I think, later in the interview. But let's kind of switch gears sure. and talk about, you know, kind of your origin story. You mentioned or you've alluded to that you're kind of from in and around the Bay Area. Is that right? Yeah. So I grew up in Sunnyvale, California. And that's like in the South Bay Area of the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was really cool being out there. Like, again, like it was a, it was a cool little mix, melting pot being around all these different people even the tech and stuff out there i, I, I really would say i mean i am a product of sunnyville really into video games nerdy kind of guy but cool enough where like you know i could still get around and not get punked or anything but um <laughs> yeah it definitely had an impact on the person i am in good ways i think i'm very yeah. proud to be from there <laughs> and it, i mean it definitely yeah. sounds like you were you know you got into art and design and stuff like pretty early on you mentioned you know sketching the video games after you beat them and stuff like that yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, like video games was like one of like the kind of the gateways into like art and design. Skateboarding was another really big one too. I was never ever good at skateboarding, but I always like the art on them, the culture, you know, the way people dress. Like that was a really big part of it for me. And then even like with skateboarding, like getting into like punk rock music. I played in like punk bands and stuff when I was uh, in high school, ska bands, metal bands. But all those things, like they all kind of like one thing I got into took me into something else, took me into something else. So but they all stemmed around like the art and the music part of it and the culture too, just like the people that were, that built it, seeing how they operate. And especially even thinking about like, um, those, I won't say like those like counterculture necessarily, but there's alternative like lifestyles, the way people get down in there. Some like some of the crusty punk dudes I used to kick it with, like, you know, I would never want to live like that, but I respected the fact that they wanted to live that way. That's what they did. And like, there was very like authentic, authenticism or authentic part about it. You know, like yeah. they're being themselves doing what they want to do. And like, whatever you're quote unquote supposed to do. Like they weren't really worried about that because that's what they wanted to do. When did you kind of know that design was something that you wanted to study? Well, so I'll say like this. I mean, I (laughs) I always wanted to do graphic design, but I didn't really know what graphic design was from like a theoretical kind of like practice until I got to Sacramento state. Okay. Um, Before that, I really just wanted a job where I didn't have to do any math. And I got this in front of a computer all day. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I wanted to be a production designer at that point. I didn't know that's what it was. I just wanted to make stuff on the computer and not the stand all day. <laughs> mm. So once I got to Sacramento State, the first class was all about like, theory. Again, like, you know, like how we're seeing light becoming sensitive to form and color. And I was like, oh, like this is actually kind of dope. Like there's like a whole science to it. And even the degree that we got from Sacramento State was um, to bachelor's in science, not an art degree. I really, I really like that they they fought to get that kind of definition around the program because this is all theory. Yeah, you're using, you are making something, you're like making like beautiful things, quote unquote, like at the end of the day. But there's a lot of like science, psychology, yeah. anthropology, even that goes into the foundation of like the algorithm that we use to make whatever we make, right? Yeah. And now prior to Sacramento State, though, you started out at an art school, right? At Academy of Art University? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but like in the Bay Area, we're 
academy is uh, based out of back in like the like 2000s. They would run commercials late at night when like all the anime stuff was on. Yeah, to show, yeah. Like, hey, you know, if you want to draw anime, <laughs> you can come <laughs> over to art school over here. And, you know, we'll help get you a job and all this. Like it was very romantic in that way, like trying to play up getting an art degree. That obviously looked very attractive to me. It was very expensive, but I was like, Mom, I really want to do this. Like, can you help me get there? Like, so we worked over the summer to get me like signed up over there. It was a pain in the ass to get signed up there. Mm-hmm. And I was still living in my parents' house in Sunnyvale. So getting up to San Francisco to be there for like, you know, four days a week. Um, a little bit of a stretch being like, I don't even know how old I was. I think I was like maybe 20 or like 19 then. Were you driving or were you taking Caltrain? So I'd stay at my friend's house in Berkeley. He was going yeah. to UC Berkeley and I would stay there for like a day or two and then take BART across and then come back on the weekends. Gotcha. Uh, so okay. I could work and just be home. Because that's but, a commute um, from South Bay to get up to San Francisco. I remember I interned out in San Francisco for a summer when I was mm-hmm. in college and I was like, it's a trek. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I had like a good car, it wouldn't have been that much of a problem, but just the logistics. So I'd be there till like seven. I have to get there like 9 a.m., be there till seven, and then have to like do homework. So I just, my friend was lucky enough I could just stay with him for a little bit. Yeah, so I started school there. Just the whole commute thing, the amount of like stuff I needed to buy, the work I needed to do, I, I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. So the, so the first, I think I dropped out halfway through the first semester. <laughs> it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I wasn't ready for that. I didn't, it was what I expected it to be, which it ended up being more the theory stuff. They, th- they start you out with all these like foundational drawing classes, which are important, but in hindsight, I don't think that was absolutely necessary for the type of designer that I ended up being. So I'm glad mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, stick with that, especially for the amount they were charging. It was uh, incredibly expensive. <laughs> oh yeah. So I was going to continue with a little bit of the, the origin stuff. Right. So, so I dropped out of there and went back to community college and I decided like, you know what, I'm going to go to a state school. I would like to get out of the Bay Area slightly. So I started working towards going to Sacramento State, doing some painting and like drawing classes at the ends of community college. And then um, went to Sac State. I think I started in 2003 there. And I was at Academy, I think, 2002. Yes, maybe a year. I had in between just because you have to like sign up for the whole school transfer and everything to go to a state school from a any other school. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like Sacramento state was just a much better environment for you overall. Oh, across the board. And I, I really, I, I swear I'm so lucky that this worked out for me. Cause it was like one of those things where like, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't do this. Like I have to do something like this because I, I, so I got, I actually got diagnosed with ADHD like a few years ago. And like in hindsight that like explained like my whole entire life. <laughs> up to that point and like because i like usually if i'm not in this bit like i've been saying this thing recently like if i don't fuck with you i don't fuck with you and that's like kind of if i'm not into it then i, I literally can't do it like my brain won't let me yeah it won't be stimulating enough for me to engage with it at all you know i didn't know that was an adhd thing until recently but um just looking back like <laughs> i told myself I was like yo rob you got to make this work and luckily the program at sac state is top notch i highly recommend it to anyone trying to save money but still get a very solid design education i think their education there is better than academies it's all theoretical although the professors are super like you know swiss like old school trained but they've been able to be agile and keep up with the times in a way that really shows how much the theory and the practice of the foundations like becoming sensitive to you know the way you're looking at things and like having a a critical eye and not like personal preference or anything like that they're able to shape someone that's maybe not like naturally good at design and get them to a place where they can't be competitive in the workplace yeah 
Let's talk about your early career. So you graduated from Sacramento State. You're getting out there in the world, working as a designer. Tell me kind of what your early career was like, because you were kind of working at a, a few different places here and there, right? Yeah, actually. So maybe let's take like a little step back. So before I graduated, I went to Dallas for a uh, student design competition. and I won my first award there, but I also met a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I met like Armando Simmons out there. This guy, Matt George, I was working at VSA in Chicago. I almost actually ended up working at VCA like a few months after that, but I wanted to graduate first. And they were like trying to get me to like get over there before I, I graduate. I'm like, I got to get the degree, dude. I've been like working on this for three years. I can't leave a month early and not get the degree. So passed on that. And then I graduated. And then um, I think immediately after that, I started sending out stuff for internships and I was able to land one at Chen Design in San Francisco, one of my favorite studios. So, you know, back in the day, they were very influential on me. I was back again, like to, to commuting. So I'd be taking the train or driving to San Francisco from Sacramento at least three days a week for this internship. Super long commute. Yeah. Uh, and eventually <laughs> it was a pain, but it was for me, it was worth it. Cause that was a place I always like admired and like really looked up to. So for me, that was, that was worth, uh, worth the commute. Plus I got to listen to podcasts and like music all day on the way up and down. So those like two and a half hour drives weren't too bad back then. Yes. <laughs> And then from Chen, I was able to get like a, a full-time designer spot at Volume. I was there for about a year, I think. For the first half of that, I was commuting every day now. But this time, I'd take the train, which took longer. But at least I, was on the, I wasn't driving, so I could sleep on the way there and back. Uh, I did that for about half a... Did that commute for a little bit. Then I moved back to my parents' house in Sunnyvale. I just drove from San Francisco over there to back home. And then from there, I got a spot at this place called Duarte Design. They do like... They're like the the PowerPoint keynote specialist for Apple. They did Al Gore's um, Inconvenient Truth stuff. They're a heavy player. They are the PowerPoint people. You, there's no one else that's messing with them in any kind of way. Yeah. And uh, I was there for a little bit. And this is where like my snobbery and uh, me thinking I was hot shit really came into play because I didn't really... Yeah, cool, working on PowerPoint stuff. I didn't know I'd be working at Windows Machine. Mm-hmm. I got really uppity about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think just culturally, I wasn't a good fit there. And it, we all knew it. But I... They were trying their hardest to make it work just because that's they're investing in the people and everything that they have. So mm-hmm. I guess to cut it short, <laughs> I am getting fired the day that Obama was elected. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I saw it coming, but it get a little more symbolic on that day of all days. So, so I left there and I worked at Punch Cut for a little bit. And then I got laid off there because I was like, right when Obama got elected was when, um, was when the recession started to hit. And like it yeah. hit pretty hard like right after that. So I got laid off there. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start my studio. I mean, I'm living in my parents' house. I still need to make a little bit of money to like, to like pay for food and gas and like hang out on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So I'll be able to do that while I'm like kind of getting like, you know, getting my whole process together and like actually figure out how I'm going to do this. Yeah. I want to interject there for two things. Mm-hmm. One, you were when you were at Duarte, I'm curious, do you know Joel Simmons? Does that name sound familiar? It sounds familiar, but I don't have a face. He's a presentation designer. He worked at, mm-hmm. I don't know if you and he worked at at Duarte at the same time, but you mentioned him and that made me think of when I interviewed him a while back. Oh, you mean Armando Simmons or Joel Simmons? I, I said Armando. I, I know Armando earlier. Simmons, Joel Simmons, J-O-L-E Simmons, Hampton grad. I think Joel is still out there in the Bay now, but he right. does a lot of big presentations like Apple, Microsoft, et cetera. So you mentioned Duarte and I was thinking, oh, I think I okay. know 
I don't know if y'all had crossed paths or not, but it, it sounds like uh, one interesting parallel that, that kind of came up to me as you were mentioning that is like you left right when Obama got elected. Like you said, that was kind of symbolic. And I remember I was working at AT&T right at that time as a senior designer, and I quit my job the day Obama got elected. I was going like because of that or just it was like, hyped up like. Yeah, I think it was, I think I just got hyped up. It was like all in the mm-hmm. in the moment because I mean I'm not gonna get too much into it. Folks who have listened to the podcast have probably heard the story, but like I was working at AT and T. I was a senior production designer. It was just a lot of work, and like they yeah, were scaling yeah. they were scaling things to the point where we were doing like all the work that we did had point values to it, and so they would lessen the point value of the work and increase the number of points you had to hit every week to like make your goal or whatever. And then like on top of that, I was also getting paid less than other senior designers there, despite the fact mm. that I had more experience and I had sort of lobbied to not my manager. Cause I was a contractor working there, but my contractor manager telling her what happened and she managed to get like all of my back pay. Like there were like six months of back pay that was owed to me. And like the back pay hit that morning Cause I remember I went to go vote. I came back mm-hmm. to the office and like my contractor manager like pulled me into her, into her office, told me that the money had, you know, hit and everything like that. So we should be all squared away and things like that. And it was like, as soon as she said that, it, and then like a little bit later on, you know, I was, you know, we were watching the votes and everything in the office and stuff like that. And we had a big team meeting near the end of the day and I just quit. I quit in the team meeting. Yo, props for that though. Even <laughs> during the team meeting too. That's yeah, a, that's a that's a hard mic drop right there. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm curious for you. Like, you know, you're kind of going to all these. You you had kind of these short stints at these different like design agencies and studios and stuff. Like, what was going on during that time? Did you just like feel like you weren't fitting in anywhere, or like like what was going through your mind then? Yeah, this is actually kind of like a personal thing for me, right? Like again, like with the ADHD thing, I didn't know I had that until like later in life, but I just wasn't. The first two spots at Chen and Volume, just being contract designers out here, like, you know, you kind of come in and out. So mm-hmm. that's just how those worked out. At the same time, I think the person I was, I was, my social skills were not where they are now. I'm way more socially <laughs> inept or, or be, I'm just, I'm better as a social person. I fit in with people. I can talk to people now. I'm more comfortable with doing that. Before I was like really shy and like very awkward. And um, on top of like me just not being into certain things, like at like Dorote. I just look like an asshole pretty much, I think, to people. <laughs> mm. Not intentionally, but I was, though. I mean, I in, again, in hindsight, I could see how like the way I was behaving would look to someone yeah. from the outside in. So, And then even just like starting Major Minor and having to like, now like get in front of people and like sell myself, that really helped with all this, like being comfortable and like being able to approach people, yeah. being able to talk to people in a certain way. All that really helped, and like it started to like happen once I started getting like you know getting my feet on the ground, um, start campaigning to get work and stuff. So that feeling was kind of what made you want to start the studio. Well, I wouldn't say that feeling necessarily, but I guess I was a part of it. Was just I want I need to be able to do things on my own terms in order for me to do them at my highest level. Mm. Just like the the personal investment, like do I really want to do this? Do I care about it? Versus like kind of like you're saying with AT and T, just like throwing stuff in front of you and you're trying to churning it out. I can't do that necessarily, at least for like a sustained amount of time. After a while, I just like start to like drift off and daydream in my head and think about other stuff I'd rather be doing. <laughs> so I figured, why not just do that stuff in the first place? So like you never have to feel like that, or you know, make someone feel a certain kind of way about you because you're treating their work in a certain way. You know? Yeah. 
What were those early years of major minor like? Very interesting. I mean, I don't know if <laughs> I've ever encountered anyone else that like had this kind of path, but I didn't have any clients that I brought with me or anything like that. Like when I left any of these places or even freelance clients, yeah. I literally just went on Craigslist every 20 minutes and refreshed the page and sent out my little cold email to all the places, all the people that were looking for stuff. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes that'd be like a little $150 logo. Sometimes it'd be like, Hey, I need like a, a magazine done or something like that. That experience was like really critical because it helped me to be, to build my process for any actual real work, getting my contracts together, having bad experiences where things go wrong. And I now learn not to do certain things, mm-hmm. understanding how to like approach people and like, not just say yes, to everything, but like, Hey, I can't do this, but I can do this. Oh, you only have this amount of money. Well, I can't do that then, but I can do this for you. Like the negotiation thing, being able to meet people where they're at with what they're trying to do and like really understanding and hearing them what they're trying to do and not just be a factory. The beginning years of just like trolling on Craigslist was a pretty, pretty significant in that way. I I didn't know that at the time, but like looking back, that was like my, my master's program (laughs) was like the first two years of major minors trolling on there. But the thing is once I was doing that, cause I'd started off solo, right? So I'm doing this just on Craigslist as often as I possibly can, looking for other avenues to get work without, you know, having any work to like show or any other like contacts that could like put me in front of someone else. Mm-hmm. It really built me up in that way and got my process to a place where I can actually run a business. You know, I'm glad you said that because I think that that way of starting out is a lot more common than people think. I know yeah, I, that like, I hope so. <laughs> no, 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 serious. Cause like, that's how I started out. I mean, my first mm-hmm. year after I quit, I didn't have, see, this is my thing. I thought I would have clients lined up. Like I had been mm-hmm. kind of telling friends of mine, like I'm thinking about starting my own, studio or something like that and they're like yeah well you got such and such i'll have some work for you and i quit and i mean those first i'd say probably those first three or four months were lean i mean they were rough Mm -hmm. like oh yeah i wasn't necessarily like going on craigslist but i was definitely taking like super low paying jobs like anything just to get something like just Mm -hmm. something you know something in the in the bank account like i was going to a lot of meetups because meetups were big Mm. I'm in Atlanta just to kind of give context, but like here in Atlanta, meetups mm-hmm. were pretty big in like 2009 or so. So I would go to all these web design meetups, which I quickly found out is the worst place for a designer to try to get a job because there's <laughs> other designers there trying to get jobs. So like y'all are all competing for the same scraps, essentially. Like everybody's trying to <laughs> trying to get something. I mean, it was rough those first few months. I went to one meetup and some guy had contacted me. He was like a business graduate from from UGA, this white dude. And he was like, yeah, you know, I'd love to meet up with you. I have some questions about design because there's this project that I might be working on and I'd like your help on it. And I was just like, okay, fine. If you buy me breakfast, you know, like, because <laughs> at the time I was like, I got $5 left on my Marta card. I can take the bus up there and then walk mm-hmm. back to the station and take the train. So I don't have to like pay twice or whatever. Mm-hmm. I went up there. It was like a Panera bread up in Buckhead for folks that know Atlanta. Went to Panera Bread, mm. met this guy, and he was telling me, like, you know, me and this other friend were thinking of starting this business because we're trying to basically, they were basically trying to cash in on the, it's funny because Obama kind of ties into this, but like try to cash mm. in on the trend of politicians now wanting to run their campaigns like Obama. So this is like early oh, yeah. 2009, you know, everything Obama did in his first run for presidency with social media and graphic design and stuff was really unprecedented. And so this is like one of Mm -hmm. the first like slates of municipal races 
after that. And like every, it was like the mayor's race, essentially. And so everybody running wanted like the Obama sheen to their campaign. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you can't hire the Obama folks because now they work for the administration or they're going to be super expensive. So he had knew this guy and they knew a candidate that was running and they were basically going to like put a company together to pitch to that candidate. But they were like, we need a designer. And so he's asking me to basically like tell him how to design. He's like, should I learn HTML or should I learn Dreamweaver? <laughs> and I'm like, Ugh. OK, I was like, you kind of I was like, you know what? I'm sympathetic to your plight. I really need work. Let's just kind of do this as a trio. And so the three of us had mm-hmm. met up and we came up with a name for the business. And we had ended up getting on to the campaign of uh, this woman. She was the city council president and she had ran for mayor. She dropped out because her parents got sick and she was about to jump back into the race. So we're like mm-hmm. talking to her campaign manager at this like lavish mansion and I was like, this is the fanciest shit I have ever seen in my life. Like, I didn't even, like, I knew people in Atlanta were rich, but I was like, I have never seen no shit like this. Like, huge, like, (laughs) 10-foot round, solid marble table that we're meeting at, like, King Arthur. And, like, we meet the candidate, and, you know, she's telling us about, you know, we're running for everything. And she's like, I like the three of y'all, because two of us were black and one of us was white. And she's like, I like the three Mm. of y'all. This is, like, real diverse, like Obama. Like, you got you a white guy? This is real diverse, because she was black. (laughs) 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 And so so she kind of, like, you know, was asking us about, you know, where we went to school and all this kind of stuff. And so she's like, yeah, I'll take a chance. I'll take a chance on you. So we ended up becoming the like new media team for her campaign. Essentially, she got back in the race and ran from, I think, like April of 2009 to November. She didn't win. She came in third place. But like that whole experience, like set me up basically to continue running my studio for almost 10 years after that. Because like if I didn't have that experience of that campaign, I wouldn't have been able to like meet other people and and honestly, yeah. like you said, like get your process together. Like the crucible of working inside a political campaign is rough. It reminded me a lot of working as mm-hmm. a production designer. You got to crank out stuff really fast. You got to respond to things quickly. Like there's no time to kind of mm-hmm. sit and iterate. You got to really like come up with something super quick. It was a lot. It was a lot. And actually, that's where I first met Stacey Abrams because that was who her campaign manager was. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. That's what I said. It all comes around full circle. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, those early years, I mean, you know, kind of to the point I was saying earlier, like you kind of have to get out there and scrap like it's (laughs) the hope is that you're going to have these clients and people that come over. But the reality is like it's a jungle out there. I'd say probably even more so now than ever, because the learning curve to design, you know, I'm using air quotes around design is so much like shorter now because people can learn stuff on YouTube and they can take these courses and stuff and like. You know, there's people half a world away that are like doing this for pennies on the dollar. And it's like, how can you compete with that? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, just all the, the bureaucracy that goes into that. Everyone's looking at it. Everyone's got something to say. But you still got to make it in like two minutes, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, really quick. And like, did you even have like a, like a system that you're working with or were you just making stuff on the fly? And like, nope. I, would I was, I was, I was just making up stuff as I went along. Like I had no process. Mm-hmm. I had nothing. And like you said, like it takes a few times you get burned by like I was fortunate that with the political campaign, everything worked out as it did. But like even the clients I had after that, like I didn't have a contract. 
I eventually learned oh. about AIGA's like design contract and I sort of used that. Mm-hmm. And I had a client that was a lawyer who used to work with the campaign. And so I bartered my service with him. I'm like, I'll do design work for you if you write my contracts. And so that's how I mm-hmm. got good contracts <laughs> and proposal oh, templates cool. and stuff. Like I started mm-hmm. thinking like, who do I need to do work for to try to upgrade how I do my business? But like that process had to come along through a lot of trial and error. Like nobody was sitting me like I didn't have a business mentor or anybody that sat me down and was like, you have to do this. Like I was out here fucking up and just like, <laughs> you know, trying to recover <laughs> from it. You know, the contract thing is actually kind of funny. Like, so we've always had like problems with like, you know, people running late or not paying us. Actually, we had a really bad one about a year ago. They're still paying us. It's been like a year since uh, the job was over. I've actually found the contracts to be kind of like ineffective because if you don't enforce them, whether it's like, hey, this happened according to our terms, like, you know, this is what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. If you don't enforce them, they're not going to, too. Two, if you do enforce them, you might not get anything. You know, it's kind of like a, a mm-hmm. damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, this, the whole contract thing, we've been trying to figure that out. Like, how, like, yeah, we have a good contract and, like, it is legal, quote unquote, because they signed it. But, like, okay, cool. Like, they're not doing anything. Do we now want to spend the money that we don't have to, like, pursue the thing legally? You know, like, we can't yeah. just, like, flash the piece of paper in their face and, like, but you signed the contract. You know, like, mm-hmm. like all right, I still have any fucking money for you. Like, <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do? The one thing that I would do with clients is I would never let them sign the contract alone. So, like, I would set up a contract meeting with them. And we would go Mm. over each clause in the contract and make sure they understood it. And then we'd sign it together. And then like, Mm. then they knew kind of moving forward, this is what you're being held to. And I was lucky that even with the lawyer that I had, like he wrote the contract in pretty plain language. So it wasn't a lot of like heretofores and the party of the first part and all that kind of stuff. It was pretty straightforward. Mm. But I would always have a contract meeting. I would never let them sign it alone because- one, the client's never really going to read it. <laughs> They're just going to sign yeah. it so they can try to get the project started. And the hope mm. is that they read it. Like, you hope that they read it. I'm like, nah, we going over this like you're five years old. We are going over it clause by clause. Mm. So you understand what this means. This is what scope creep means. This is what a termination fee means. This is what a kill fee means. Like, I hope we never have to institute these things. But if it gets to that point, you know, because we've had this meeting. I would sort of point back to that meeting if things started to go a little wonky during the process. Like, well, you know, we had the meeting and you said this and we signed it together. And they're like, oh, okay. That's smart. I think we, we are going to start doing something like that now. But I think even more so, it's signing it in person versus like talking over the phone. Yeah. Which I think we're about to do. But that was actually really good. I like hearing that. That was really smart. Now, something that you had mentioned to me before we had started recording was the parallels in your design career and your music career. Like, I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think more of that is like just around like the process of like the way like my approach. So like, I feel like all these things are like kind of the same as far as like the way that they're made, right? Like you have like layers in Photoshop and like, you know, your music software, you have layers of instruments of tracks, right? Like the way you're blending them, the way you're like using levels or curves or whatever, the same thing you do with like mixing the EQ. Mm-hmm. adding you know saturation to something even though the words the semantics are similar in some cases so historically like I, i've never done never done both of them at the same time up until you know the, maybe the last few years where i've really taken them design my, my design and my music here as seriously as i am but even just like even outside of like the uh the actual creative part you gotta start making relationships like the way you're talking to people about your design work and trying to sell them is like a similar kind of like um passion and like trust is being built when you're trying to get like gigs or just talk to your music about people or talk to your 
talk to people about your music. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed, like, as I do one more, I get better at the other one, too. So they kind of, like, lift each other up in separate ways. Well, separate ways, but, like, they do the same thing. Like, when you do, like, outreach or something like that, you know, like, you're campaigning yourself or your music stuff. When you start doing that in your design field, it's, like, a similar process. Like, they, it's like business. So if you're running a business, the concept of running a business is, like, the same everywhere. Like, you don't need to know how to do that certain thing. Yeah. You know, to operate the business so that, like, you can scale it, right? So just those, it's, I never realized that until kind of recently, but just all that stuff, it's like very similar. Even if you know how to use like Photoshop or not Photoshop, like, you know, if you don't use Final Cut, you probably know how to use like Ableton or like mm-hmm. Logic or something like that. But the, mm-hmm. the way these like softwares and like the process, the workflows to use them are all very similar. Yeah. The buttons might be a little bit different, but if you get the concept behind like how to use it, you'll be able to apply that stuff. Right. The thing is for those graphic tools, a lot of them borrow their UI from music tools. So like yeah, the layers and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's all the same. So what is it that like keeps you motivated and inspired these days? Like what keeps you going? I guess there's a couple of things. I guess like first off, just like my personal interest. Like, you know, I, I love what I'm doing. I love the fact that I, I can make money from like my first two passions, like even starting major minor um, and becoming successful with that. I just feel blessed I'm able to do that because I, I need to be able to do something like this to, you know, stay, to wake up in the morning, like not become bored or anything like that. So I'm glad I'm able to be self-sufficient, you know, as a man, as a person in society. Yeah. Doing the thing that I love. So but I, I used to tell people, like, oh, I got my second dream. I'm like running the studio. I'm like, we're, we're good. But now like, I want to get my first dream and that's that I have like a successful <laughs> music career, at least doing music to like a, to a certain point, I don't want to become famous or anything like that, but just like being able to release music and work on it and like have people, you know, make memories to it. Like I always had this idea where like, Oh, someone sees me on the street. Oh, you're that dude, uh, RCA. Like, Hey, you made that beat. You know, I met my girl that song was playing at the club or whatever. And like, you know, we listen to it all the time. It's like a memory of ours now. I'm like, you know, just want to say, yeah, thank you for that. I was like, Oh, I didn't know, man, but that makes my day. Like, <laughs> makes my whole life right there. Hearing stuff like that. That's like from a personal kind of place. So my personal drive, that's where that motivation comes from. I think the other part of it too, specifically to design, and this is funny this has changed a lot over like the last, since I've been a student, but just having, you know, see another black person run a studio. I think a lot of times people, just like the the diversity in design, you know, there's people out there just doing everything, but like in certain places, I only know maybe like three or four other studio heads that are, that are black. Like, and I know there's more than that, but just I like personally know, or like I've actually seen on the wild, it's just good to see that because like I'm always surprised I'm on like a company's page like I see career director black dude like mm-hmm. oh cool like you know we getting out there not just as like you know a team designer but you know like doing strategy or being on the leadership part of the team. When I was a kid, I saw none of that. I was always the only black kid in my class historically, so it's cool seeing all that change. Even just giving back to the community in that way, just being not that I need to be a face of anything, but just having people see me in, in certain ways yeah. always feels really good. So that's, that's a big motivator too. And just, you know, doing kind of talks for, for kids at school or portfolio reviews. I always try and show up to those whenever I can just to give back in the first place, but also like, you know, represent um, that, that, you know, we out here like that. Did you have any like mentors or like other like peers that helped you along your design journey? Not so much. I'd call them mentors, but like, like Armando Simmons, he was like the first like black student I had ever met. I was still in school. And, you know, we talked a little bit after I met him, when I was in school, but um, I wouldn't call him a mentor, but he definitely was like a source of inspiration. Just like, oh shit, like he's doing, he's been doing it for a minute too. And this stuff's tight. Like, I don't know, that was like the first glimpse I got. And he was always really nice to just hang out and like talk or whatever. 
like as far as mentors, not really. Maybe my, my professors like Gwen Amos and like John Forrest at Sacramento State, they're really positive to me in that way. I always tell them whenever I see them, like, yo, you guys changed my life. If I hadn't met you, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd probably work at a Target or something like that. <laughs> but you guys, like, they put the effort. They saw the effort I was trying to put in, and they put the effort back into me. And, like, they knew there was something there. So I really appreciate them, just, like, taking the chance on me like that and just pouring some, like, extra effort into, like, someone that was, they felt was deserving of it. Yeah. Is this how you imagined your life would look like when you were a kid? Absolutely not. <laughs> and I'm glad because my, my life, when I, when I was a kid, my later life, I was always very nervous to get older because I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, and that's even from like being like a small child. Like, I don't know what I want to do. I just want to like make stuff. But, like, I don't know what that means. Like making money, like, you know, being a person in society and all that kind of stuff. But then even as I got closer to like becoming an adult, I'm like, oh shit, like, I need to figure this out. Like I'm getting to a point where I'm going to be 20 years old. Like I don't know what I'm doing. So I'd say maybe actually like in the first time in my life, like in the last like 10 years, I've actually felt like, cool, I'm not. Things didn't work out the way I thought they was a, were as a kid. I'm like super glad I've been able to do that for myself. And now it's just like sustaining that. Like what's going to keep me going? What's going to keep me excited in the same kind of, you know, in the same kind of rhythm that I have now? Be able to do the things I would like to and then still be able to make money from it. But also I like add to other people's lives. Like I can't do this all on my own. So I hope whatever, you know, people that do get on the ride with me, like they're getting something out of it and are doing it like, not for just like money, but you know, there's personal investment. That's why I usually end up hiring a lot of my friends that are really close to me because they seem to be into what we're doing. Yeah, it just feels good like being able to like contribute to their lives because they're contributing back to me in that way too by teaming up. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what kind of work do you want to be doing? That's a good one. That's what we've been talking about, you know, internally with the team and just even me thinking about it myself. One thing I've actually been doing, this is kind of like, uh, I guess one of the parallels like with the music and the design stuff is like doing more concert visuals. So I've been like working on my own personal show, like learning how to do visuals, you know, whether like a video synthesizer or software synthesizer or, you know, with After Effects and Premiere and integrating that along with the music, whether it's programmed and Ableton Live or if it's just a movie that plays in the background or something with like Resolume. I guess that's kind of like the marriage of like my two passions that I'm saying it out loud. It's like, how do I make these, how can I bring these things together? And then also now start to offer that as a service and, you know, be able to do it for myself as well too. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online? Yeah. The best place to go. And we're working on this now. We're, we're on a new website, but you can find our stuff at majorminor.co. There's a little bit of uh, work on there, but if you'd like to see more, just feel free to email me, rob at majormonitor.co. As far as the music stuff, you can go to uh, rcawhatsgood.com. All the links are on there, IG, YouTube, and just you know, see what, what we're all about and what I'm all about with the music stuff, too. I think there's a lot of parallels as far as the aesthetics and just you know how we approach design. You can see both those things on there. But um, yeah, if you have any other questions, feel free to hit me up on any of those uh, platforms, too. I'm always uh, very responsive. I love you know, talking to people. Nice. Rob Martin, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on the show. You know, we kind of had talked a bit before we had started recording, but it's amazing, like how Mm -hmm. much kind of our like journeys as entrepreneurs and even kind of as musicians in a way have kind of paralleled each other. I think it's great that you've really been able to like carve your own way and, and, and find your own way in the design industry, really through hard work and luck and determination and just doing it i mean you know as a musician it's always about practice makes perfect like we always kind of hear that but you Mm -hmm. know with business oftentimes you don't you don't have the opportunity to do that because especially for your own business everything that you do kind of has to be contributing hopefully 
towards progressing the business. But it really sounds like, I mean, with Major Minor going for, you know, 13 years now, you're doing something good. I mean, you're you're putting out good things out there in the world. You're supporting the, the community as well. And I'm just so glad to have had you on the show to tell your story. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Right on. Thanks, Grace. And, and just all for, for you too, thank you for doing all the revision path stuff. I remember we talked a lot back on the Slack channel. I don't know if it still exists or not, but that was really great for you to support or just put out there for the community and everything you've done. I mean, I've always seen it from afar, but you know, I really got a lot of appreciation for what you do and just the fact you've been doing it for this long too. So right on for having me on. I really appreciate it. I've been waiting to be on this for a minute too, so <laughs> finally have it. Yeah. <laughs> Big, big thanks to Rob Martin, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Rob and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? You know, we'd love to hear from you, so please don't be a stranger. Hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter or Instagram. You can uh, just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, or on Spotify. The more people you tell about the show, the bigger Revision Path becomes, and the further we can extend our reach to talk to Black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.